Welcome to the Prize of Possibility podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Ablett. I have a strong belief that the greatest prizes in life are hidden in plain sight. They are the nuances, the nooks and crannies of everyday moments that are easily missed. Join me in these conversations with authors and influencers and researchers to miss fewer of them, to truly claim these prizes. So I am here with Elisha Goldstein, uh, who, thank you, Elisha, for doing this. This is awesome. Great to be here. Yes, yes. So, you know, Elisha is a psychologist and mindfulness teacher in L.A., that I've only been to a few times in my life. And that's something I need to remedy. But, uh, you know, we've not met in person. This is the closest we've come. Um, but we share the the mindfulness space in terms of interest and in our own practice and, you know, creating content for folks. Uh, in addition to a really cool book that I highly recommend that was super helpful to me, The Now Effect. Uh, he's written a bunch of other stuff. And I definitely want him to tell you guys about stuff he's uh, doing currently. Uh, he's also the co-founder of the Center for Mindful Living and uh, has really awesome programming uh, that people should check out. But we'll, we'll talk more about that. But welcome, Elisha. And uh, tell me, tell me uh, you know, what is on your mind these days when it comes to mindfulness and practice? Just in general, huge, broad question, but... Yeah, I always like to ask fellow mindfulness folk what they're about with mindfulness these days. Yeah, well, I, I thank for thanks for putting on this podcast, Mitch. And this is, um, you know, this is the, I to me, it was it's you know really interesting because I got into um, mindfulness many many years ago out of my own struggle to find clarity and and to find more ease and peace with my own pain and and suffering that was there out of my own history of drug abuse and, and just like just emotional suffering that had been there and and I and and I struggled with things like panic attacks and insomnia mm. and and um and I I feel like this practice of training myself to be more in, intentionally aware of my own inner life and the outer world that's there with that sense of curiosity and uh, patience, which yes. takes a long time to be developed, is uh, has been enormous to striking out my issues with insomnia, um, making me feel more confident around panic, um, and then I no longer struggle with any of those. And wow. at the same time, um, I feel it's more important than ever now because of what we've gone through in this last year. Yes, and um, and the the reality of uncertainty that um, hit us, as I know, as, as a as a parent of three kids, I have three boys, 12, 10, and six. And mm -hmm. this year in LA, it's been different in you know uh, in different parts of the country and all over the world. But in LA, we were locked down for a whole year in our house, basically yeah. um, yep. with our kids, and we never knew what was going to be the state of up, up, when they were going to Upside and downside to that. Upside and downside. upside and downside, right? <laughs> and um, but we never knew what was going to be the 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 state of what was going to happen next. And I think everyone had this experience of of well. You can't plan too far into the future because you don't really know where we're going to be a month from now or two months from now. Right. Um, 
and and so we had to really come to a, a, a have a relationship with uncertainty yes and 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 I know with myself, I have a small private practice, so I work with clients and I work with a global audience. And, yeah. and this has been a big teaching to really get curious about what uncertainty feels like within us Yes. Um, as far as how our nervous system reacts, reacts to it yeah. and how to hold it in a way where there's this sense of loving tenderness towards ourselves um, so that we can create the internal conditions for still being able to be more resilient and yes. be aware of the good around us and, yes. um, you know, access those parts of our brain that uh, uh, make, can, can still make us feel good because the good is all around us. It's all within us. And our brain is typically just attending to what's most urgent and important as yes. you know, and other people who are listening are know. And, and so, but we can, we can really train those internal conditions to um, still be in a better place and to be aware of the uncertainty and hold it in a particular way, uh, which makes us um, feel better and more resilient. Yes. And feel more generosity and contribution in the world. Yeah, you, you said a lot in there that we could spend hours talking about, right? But you know, there are a couple of things that really jumped out at me. The phrase uh, relationship with uncertainty. You know, there's, you know, that's, that's really powerful to me. And, you know, I'm sure many listeners are like, what does that mean to have a relationship with uncertainty? I don't want to, I don't want to relate to uncertainty. I want to avoid it. I want to make it go away. But what, what do you mean by a relationship with uncertainty? At any given moment, there's a few things happening. We have our, 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 our brain is constantly monitoring our internal and external environment. Yes, and it's an imperative is to be safe because of course we want to survive and we need to procreate and that's our that's our fundamental programming and 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 so it'll 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 constantly interpret our environment to see am I safe or unsafe and if it's uncertain mm -hmm. whether it's safe or unsafe it sends off an alarm bell yes and because then it has to figure out okay so if I'm uncertain I need to solve the problem to yes. be able to figure out, you know, how do I get safe because I need to survive. Now, this is just like happening in our unconscious, of course. But what that does is that gets us thinking about like, okay, so what are the possible scenarios that could happen here that could put me in danger so that I can plan against them? Right. Or what do I know about the past that, that might inform and give me answers to this uncertainty so I can figure it out and have certainty? Yeah. That's what we really need. We need certainty. Right. Meanwhile, what that's doing is that's sending off a cascade of other emotions that are there. It could be fear and anxiety, or it could be rumination from the past that brings up um, different feelings of uh, stuckness or depressive type of thinking. And, yes. and then we get sensations that are there that are either, uh, you know, elevated um, blood pressure or heart racing or sweating or um and then our and then we might get really distracted and then we might yes we might immediately jump to okay so what's what am i how am i going to soothe this problem right because this is just too overwhelming for me so i'm going to just kind of search on my phone forever you yeah, know, about yeah yeah something, or check a million times or maybe i'm going to eat that bag of potato chips or maybe i'm going to shout at my kids or maybe i'm going to expel this feeling somehow because it's obviously overwhelming right. so that's uncertainty. It's unconscious. And this is how we can relate to it in a way that inevitably becomes unhealthy. Yeah. However, 
we have the power. What's so amazing about the human being and the human mind is we have the power. We have power. We have these superpowers within us. Yeah. And they're just like waiting to be tapped into and nurtured. And um, and we can uncover this power that's there. And and part of it is by sometimes when we just note and when I mean we note, oh, there's uncertainty here, which means I'm just not sure. Yes. What's happened. So this is super big. It's super practical and something you can take into your life right now. Like any moment that you feel like this unsettled feeling that typically yeah. means like, mm, I'm uncertain about something. Yep. And, and we can just name it. And we name it, we know from Matthew Lieberman's study in 2007 at UCLA, like, oh, and you can, where, where he put pictures of people, you know, on a screen and, and a woman was really, a picture of her being really scared and a man was a picture of him being really angry. And they asked yes. the audience like, hey, what are they feeling? They also, they, they one just said, Dick and Jane underneath it. And the other one said, hey, what are they feeling to the other audience? And the people that had to name what they were feeling showed that they showed more blood flow to the prefrontal region of their brain. So with yes. that was said like, okay, hey, these people have a little bit more impulse control now, emotion regulation. Yes. And, and so by naming uncertainty, naming that unsettled feeling, what happens is now we're in this space between stimulus and response, which is exactly what the now effect was all based on. Was that yes. by Victor? That was attributed to Victor Frankl. No one's ever nailed down that he actually said that, but but right. it was attributed to him that said between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that mm. space lies our power to choose our response, and our response lies our growth and our freedom. So we have yes. the superpower within us by naming something. Yes. To be able to tap into that space between stimulus and response, where we have more choice points. Yes. And more perspective and more possibility yes. that's there and therefore more freedom right so we have the ability to nurture a greater sense of internal freedom within ourselves even in the face of that reaction of uncertainty and that and that the the choice to relate is our freedom right the that that ability to abide in that space and you know relate to that feeling of uncertainty the lack of control over events around us that is what our freedom is and that's that's really cool when yeah, you really go ahead I just like to think of it as a superpower too, because it, it, it like, <laughs> it's something we're not aware of too much. And, and it, it's amazing when people are able to recognize that and actually yeah. tap into it, nurture it. Yes. And then they feel like more confident. Like right. uh, what, what's that? That's like more power than you had before. So it's a little bit of a superpower. It also makes it a little playful. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you used the word curiosity multiple times and, you know, as a psychologist myself work a lot with kids and families you know, as you well know, as a uh, dad as well, kids, particularly the younger ones, inherently curious. And we as the adults, even the mindfulness practicing adults, tend to get away from that. And we lose. Uh, well, maybe, maybe it's just me, Elisha. You know, maybe, maybe you. Oh, that's part or, of being human? Okay, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's, you know, and, and, and as you know, you know, many people in our mindfulness subfield have talked about this for, for years, you know, Suzuki Roshi called it, you know, beginner's mind. And, you know, we, we lose that, but that's curiosity as a, I like to think it's like a very close cousin of mindfulness. It's part of it and super important. So I, I love that, you know, you use that word. Cause I, I think that's where the possibility lies is when we can get curious around what's going on around us and in, in us. Yes. Yeah. That's why I define mindfulness as intentionally paying attention to 
something in the present moment with an engaged curiosity. Well, yes, engaged. Yes. I like that better than um, the classic uh, definition, which is intentionally paying attention on purpose with non-judgmental awareness. Yeah. Because I feel like the, the term non-judgmental awareness, while it's true, is archaic and people don't, it's hard to get. It's hard to yeah. understand. It doesn't tell you what you're doing. It tells you what you're not doing. Which then, yes. you ask, then, then it, it makes you ask the question, well, how do I do that? Non-judgmental awareness. But if you say engaged curiosity, you're implicitly non-judgmental if you're curious because you're saying, oh, by being I love curious, that. you're saying, I'm setting aside my judgment to see what this actually is. Yeah, I haven't heard that before. I really like that. I really, because I've thought that myself in, in no you know, disparagement to, to those who, you know, define it that way. It's accurate, like you're saying, right? But I like that engaged curiosity implies it, but it makes it more practical and more doable versus something you're avoiding. So yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. I think, I think there's, when, when things become abstract around mindfulness practice, or when it's like things to not do, my worry, I want to see what you think about this. People end up, particularly in our culture, like feeling a more and more and more of a sense of should around mindfulness practice. Well, I, I should be avoiding that, or I should be doing it now. I, I should be meditating. And I don't know who came up with this one. Uh, it may have been Albert Ellis many years ago, but then we end up shooting on ourselves all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and how do, how do people, you know, avoid the should factor around mindfulness practice? What would you say to that? It's interesting because I've spoken with a lot of people. I've actually spent time this last, in these past five, six months having interviews with, with, with people in my audience um, and, and just having phone calls with them and asking them about, um, you know, what are they really frustrated with right now? And what, what, um, what are they really scared of that, you know, this actually continue to happen? And what would, what would even look like if you could have something, a program out there that could, support you um, in a way that could give you the kind of shifts and changes you want in your life. And the, the, what a lot, what a lot of people have said was that, that exactly what you're saying, like, well, I, you know, I know mindfulness is, is healthy for me. I've seen it in all the magazines and, yes. you know, I see all these apps out there that keep telling me like, you know, that it's so incredible and I have a hard time with that consistent practice and it could, because I, but I know I should do it. Um, and, and what it is, is there, there's, if we look at, you know, the fact that we we need to practice something in order for it to come alive in our lives, and that's just anything. That's whether that's watering a tree in order yeah. to make it grow, or whether that's, um, you know, if you want to learn how to play guitar, you need to practice it, or it's just not going to happen. If people didn't ever practice walking, it would they just never get there. Yes. Right? And so, and so, the, but that practice around healthy activities is hard for us um, because one reason I think it's really hard is we are really strongly wired from a fundamental level towards root, towards creating routine. Our brain yes. memorizes procedures and it's just, that's, that's really hardwired as an imperative in us. And to be able to create a new procedure that's not really urgent, we know it's important, but it's not really urgent. It doesn't yes. strike the urgency bells in our yes. brain. Yes. It's hard to do when we live in a world that it surrounds us with 
false urgencies and tr and triggers on our brains of urgent things to do and right. and then we're also wired what's fascinating is we're also wired to move away from something that's uncomfortable right so so here we are this is like sitting with myself or with my thoughts when i'm not really quite sure how to do it i have an app here that has a guided meditation and that's about the instruction i have to do it um, yeah, I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. So there's that uncertainty again. Right. Yeah, that's kind of uncomfortable. Why would I, heck would I ever want to create a practice? <laughs> Why would my brain want to just fall into that habit? Right. Like it wouldn't right. for the right. most part. Yes. And so we need other things or else we're going to fall into that. I know I should do it, but I'm not doing it. I mean, we can follow all kinds of great advice around and we can incorporate this into our this is for me and you Mitch and everyone here into our programming that um, of the, what we offer the world into, you know, how to help people create habits. Um, yes. You know, helping helping them small and starting small and then building and yes, um, these types of things. But even so. We are social creatures, right? And we've always been this way. And you know, if you go, I tell people all the time. I go, okay, you want to meditate? I mean, what would it be like if you went to a retreat and everyone around you was just doing it? Do you think right. you'd do it? Yes. Yeah, I think I'd do it then. Yeah, because right. monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, that's right. just how we work. Right. But in this world, we don't have that. We don't have that around us, and so we have to be a little bit more strategic. Yes. About it. Yes. Or else we're going to just fall into the shoulds. Of course, we're just going to, I should do this. I know I should exercise. I know I should meditate. I know I should. Um, so there's, there's a couple of things that are important to uncover here that can help us. One is we need to understand, and we, we're usually not that clear on this, why mm. I'm doing this to begin with. So yeah, this, this is, is super important. important. Yeah, yeah, super important. I front load this in all my programming with yeah. anything because this is what's missing from most people's programs is helping people understand to back up for a second. Hey, we're no rush. Let's uh, our your brain runs on reasons. It does yeah. things for reasons. It'll down that bag of potato chips because it's uncomfortable and it wants soothing. Right. It doesn't care whether that's going to make you happy or unhealthy. Yeah. It just cares that that unpleasant feeling goes away. Right. Um, if you know why you want to meditate, meaning one of the exercises is to consider um, what do you selfishly get out of it? Mm. In other words, like what, how does your life change? Can you visualize that? If you meditate, what do you get? out of that do you get a calmer nervous system how does that change how you relate to your kids and your yes. partner does that change how you work at all does that change your focus like and if so what what comes to you as a result of that if you can help yourself visualize on a regular basis why i'm doing this and the benefits you get out of it right you're going to tell your brain what to pay attention to yeah i love that that why but the mindful felt why when you really, uh -huh, yes. and this is this is where you know I've become uh, really familiar with Judd Brewer's work and his research around the the neuroscience of habit change and the role mindfulness can play, and he talks about this a lot and being able to update your brain by paying very. This is what you're saying: pay very close attention. What is this giving me? when I'm practicing, if I'm practicing meditation, if I'm being mindful, 
what is this actually giving me? Verse, and then pay very close attention to the old habits, the potato chips or the, you know, numbing out or acting out in various different ways. What's that getting me? And when you pay attention to that, you start to compare them. It's like in a felt way, you know, this mindfulness path gives more. But it, you know, but we have to pay attention and get curious in order to really notice that. So it becomes a mindfulness practice in and of itself, right? Yeah, you know, so I, I think that's super important, the why. Because I've seen many people, I'm sure you as well, they they jump to the the what in order to get an outcome. Right. Yeah. We know exactly what we did. And if we if 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 the what if the what was successful, we would never we we would need just one diet book. Yeah. Not a million trillion of them, right? We need one mindfulness book. That's all we'd need. Right. And so if the what was it, and so obviously it's not it. And yeah. so, you know, it's good to have, and it's good to have a plan. Yes. And that's really important because that a plan and a goal, uh, a goal that seems doable with a plan creates hope and hope gives us energy. And, yes. and that's again, more, more energy we want to move towards that. So the why, the what is important and the how, the what and how are important. And, um, but the why is the energy, the fuel behind it. And then the other piece we need, because typically we think we should just do things on our own and that's all we have time for. Yes. And by the way, we need to, we almost need someone to hand, hold our hands to even explore the why. Yeah. Um, because we won't do it. It's just like, um, our relationship with our phones, uh, we know that if you look at your stats on your phone, we know that most of us pay attention to our phones too often yeah. and are checking too much more than we need to. And I'm guilty of this myself. And, and, we, and we almost need what we really need in order to have a wiser relationship to our phone is not just to know it. I can watch um, Tristan Harris's movie, uh, um, The Social Dilemma and be inspired. Yeah. by that and say like, oh, look at all the, the way this is impacting me. But unless yeah. you have someone to hold your hand and say, let's take a day and explore this and yes. explore your relationship with your phone, your impulses and your habits around it. And let's explore right. why you want it to be different. And yes, and let's start making a plan that's doable and stuff like that. You know, in order to take, you, you, we almost need to take that time out. So in the same way with mindfulness in our practice, understanding the why and the what and the how, and um, it, it take, we, you and I can talk about this and hopefully what, what transpires for someone listening to this right now is that you take a moment to schedule in your calendar right now, a time for yourself where you actually explore the why. Otherwise it's right. not going to happen. You're just going to have, you're going to be tickled by the idea and then it'll right. be, it'll go away. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I'll, I'll, I'll I should do that later. Yeah. yeah, I should do it. Yeah, there's another should, right? I should, do, I should do that thing. I should do that thing. Right. And 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 you can't. That that the message I want to send is you can do that thing. You really can take a moment yeah. to pause this right now and just schedule a half an hour in your calendar and ask yourself, hey, why do I want to practice this? And just like write right. a paragraph and see if you can reread that in the morning or in, in a yeah, day. Yeah, like, I like that. Won't take you much time, right? Yes. And and then the other piece about this, which is so important, is we oftentimes think we only have time to or need to do this alone and yes and 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 and, and some apps try to solve this problem by giving some just online community space to do this with others but the reality is we are totally interconnected with and 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 albert einstein spoke about the delusion of separateness that we have 
And, yes. um, and but, the re but if we kind of dip down even from a quantum physics level or science level, we look at all the world's wisdom traditions, the mystical traditions out there, we look at the Big Bang, whatever you want to look back, it all goes back to the same source that we're all coming from the same energy and information out there. Right. And so we, if you look at behavioral science, cues and triggers, things like that. Yes. And um, we need other people yes. or it's incredibly skillful to think about who we surround ourselves with and have contact with if we want to support a certain practice. That's all. That's right. Simple that's like right. that. That's right. And and I, I think that's super important because otherwise, and I I do not know who coined this. I'm sure you've heard it. You know, we mindfulness can become relegated to just make mindfulness. It can be just uh, Ron this, Purser, I think, initially said that maybe. Yeah. Yes. You know, which is a a cool term and a warning that you know, that it's so tempting to just grab onto this cool thing to, and then use it to get something to happen and have it be devoid of the context of the why, why am I doing this? And the interconnectedness and the community and the connectivity that it can really grow within is my way of thinking about it. And so yeah, I, I've seen the apps that that try, but you know we need. And to me, this is something. And see, see your thoughts on this. We really need things in our society that really make uh, things like mindfulness practice embedded in who we are collectively, and and how can how can we come together and really and you know it doesn't have to be in a religious way. If that's what people do, that's fine. But how can mindfulness be embedded in a, in a sense of community? How can it be not something you're doing off on a cushion by yourself, but it's something you can formally practice in that way, but it's also something about every moment when we're relating to each other. And, to, and that's something I, that's very near and dear to me around mindfulness practice, how, how it can informally be part of every interaction so that we're really seeing into one another as best we can with that superpower that you're talking about and, and really connect up to me, kind of going back to what you said at the beginning, there is so much suffering right now. We, we need, we need ways to remember how interconnected we truly are always. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'll give you a little preview. I'm writing a book right now. That's all about that. It's about the science of interconnection and how, oh, wow harnessing these invisible influence around uh, uh, invisible these invisible influences around us can help us be the change we want to see in the world and make that easier and that yes. affects across the people we care about and love and the world around us and um, that's really cool yeah thanks <laughs> i'll keep everyone abreast as, as it continues yeah um and uh and so um yeah, it's the, you know, to, to me, there's a, tri there's a trifecta of, of how you get this to become a reality in, in your life. And, and, and if we want to have that experience where we sense into that um, everyday mindfulness, we might say, or everyday awareness of the people around us or just within the conditions of ourselves. Um, and we really want to give ourselves the best footing for it. Yeah. Because um, you can do it on your own. You can yeah. grab an app and practice. It's not like sure. that's an impossible thing to do. You can. Um, but if you really want to deepen it and integrate it um, and maybe catalyze it yes. for yourself and make it easier, um, right. there's always that saying that mindfulness is simple but not easy. But I think you can make it easier. 
Yes. And the way you make it easier is you have three things. You have um, a mentor. Yeah. Um, you have someone who's further along the path than you, basically, right. who's who knows a little bit more than you do. Right. Or someone who's a teacher or something like that. Either way is okay. This could be a, a, a friend of yours. Or it could be someone that you 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 respect and you bring into your life and you hire them either way it doesn't matter right um, or, or or and you need a community yeah you need just some people who are also doing this too yes um and wanting to learn and grow and um you know uh, along this path in their life or just bring it more into their life doesn't need to be it could be totally secular right um, and that's all the way that i teach it anyway and and, and, and then you need experiential learning. Mm -hmm. So, cause that's the part that, that impacts that procedural memory of the brain, which makes it more implicit. Yes. So we can listen to, po po we, I love podcasts are very important because what they do is- I'm glad you they, said that. <laughs> yes, they, what they do, no, the education is important and listening to things is important because what that does is that sparks ideas. Yes. Yes. And ideas, ideas are the things that lead to shifts and change. Right. And so hopefully this is sparking an idea in you and giving you something that you can kind of then take into your life, which is important. And, and, and yet where the rubber meets the road is in the experiential learning piece. Yes. And so we need those three things. We need the mentor. We need the community. You notice how both of those, the two top things are social. Yeah, right? I just and was going to point that out. Yes. Relational. Yes. And then the last one we need is the experiential learning. And if we can get all three of those things together in, yes. a, in a package for ourselves, we're putting up a very strong foundation for making this come alive in our lives. Yes. And, and it will facilitate and create the infrastructure for building the habits, you know, small, small behaviors, regular basis deposits in a mindfulness bank account. And there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think about you yeah, because you said in the beginning our brains are wired to try and protect us from threat and help us find you know scarce resources. You know, going back you know tens of hundreds of thousands of years, right? And yet we have within us in our brains this capacity to connect. This is the way I'd like to think of it: is that you know, our brains are wired for fight fight, flight, freeze. And that's the, you know, grabbing at potato chips and numbing out or acting out. And yet we also have in our brains this amazing capacity wired in to connect with one another. You know, because we weren't the biggest species or the fastest or the biggest teeth or any of that, but we could connect and therefore survive. But we can harness that connectivity and mindfulness can then grow from that and within that. And I think that's, you know, that's super important. I love that the two things of the three that you said have a social component to it. Yeah. Yeah. We think about like, why, why do we have this? Why is it so important for us to connect? And we can think of it like, as you're saying, from an evolutionary perspective where it's saying that, well, okay, well that's to keep us safe. We're in a tribe and yeah. And, and, you know, that can, if we're in a tribe and we're connected, we're, we belong. And if we belong, then we're not, we're going to keep ourselves safe from the dangers around us. There's that piece, yes. and that, which is important. And I hundred percent buy into that. Yeah. And, and then there's a little bit of a deeper layer too, which I think is interesting to consider. Okay. That 
Well, I'll say I'll say this. That I'll prelude it with this. In 2006, I published a uh, clinical research study that was published in the, the Journal of Clinical Psychology, and I took people from all around, and I, you know, we, I, I gave them just short practice to do, which was um, get settling them into a state of presence, and then having them choose an object. This could have been a physical object or a mental object, something mm-hmm. that was meaningful to them. Yep. People chose a cross around their neck, or they chose a um, a, a, a little statue of a, a Buddha, or they chose um, a tree, or they chose um, a an image of a memory of someone they cared about in their life, or for some people they chose a family heirloom, and mm-hmm. and what they did was then from that state of presence they 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 looked at that um, meaningful object. Yes. Whether again it was in their mind or whether it was something physical. And then we gave them assessments, their you know, validated assessments around stress and well-being and deeper than just the common assessments that are out there. Because for those of you who don't know, in, in the field of psychology, typically when you see like happiness research come out there, it's usually on these very quick assessment that's around, were you feeling positive or negative emotion and what's your satisfaction with life? Yeah, yeah. These scales were a little bit deeper measuring meaning and purpose as well. Okay. And... Um, so it took respondents, it took participants a little bit longer to fill them out. And what we found was in just doing this for three weeks, a five minute practice for five days a week for three weeks, uh-huh. um, people showed statistically significant results in reduction in stress and, and these deeper scales of well-being. Wow. And, but what was more important to me was the uh, interviews I did people. So I did, I did with people. So I did a qualitative piece with this. So for those of you familiar with like Brene Brown's work or something like that. So that's mm-hmm. her type of work, this, this more qualitative piece of research. Mm-hmm. What I found was in the interviews that there was just a theme that just kept coming up over and over again, which was this theme of connection. Wow. And so you take that qualitative research and you take the quantitative research and you say like, well, if the, if the experience overall was this deep thread of connection and you see that the results were a quantitative result of stress reduction and increases and in deep experiences of well-being, then we come to the formula that connection is at the epicenter of well-being. Yes. And so, so then what, then we kind of deepen that for a moment and say, okay, so let's look at this for a minute. If it's true you know, that science says that we, that there was this big bang and, you know, basically all life and matter sprang from there. Yeah. Or if you believe that, um, you know, got out of, on, on the day of creation, God created Adam and Eve and, and that was that. Yep. And, or if you believe that, some kind of alien spaceship came years ago and dumped its waste on this planet and life sprung from there. Whatever you believe, right? all of those story, all of those point to that what you believe is that everything originated from the same source. And so, and so here we are now spread out as life and matter everywhere. Right. And yet all made up of the same interconnected elements that are there. So, it, it, it strikes me that the reason we're drawn to connection is connection is the source of everything. And when we settle into the source of everything, mm. we're settling into the elixir of life, like the elixir of the origination of it all, which is this great sense of perfection. Yes. And that's, to me, a deeper layer of why we're drawn 
to connection is because it fills our cup. I love that. I love that. Here, here's, here's how I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it my own way that I, I've been thinking about it for a while now. Most people, most of the time, our society, other societies are feeling unseen. And then when they are seen, it does something. It really matters because we all need to feel seen. And then when we're, it's like conditions are improving here. We've gone from unseen. Now we're feeling seen as a person validated in our pain and, and suffering and whatnot. Or happiness and joy. Yes. Yeah. And then with sufficiently being seen by loving beings, we can, the conditions become right to be seeing ourselves. So unseen to seen to seeing with clarity, which I would call mindfulness or in compassion. And then people can truly be, and this is a, a term I've been using here in my work, prizing of others, where our, our kind of ego focus falls away and we just really are in that connection, that source. And we have no agenda other than seeing behind the surface of others to what I call the prize, which is that person has pain in a given moment, or they have a possibility that's showing up and I'm going to play peekaboo with it and let them know I see it just like we would with a baby. So there's like a progression. And I hear that in what you were saying that we all have this source of interconnection. And then when we start to really see one another, some can see with such clarity that it helps other people learn to see. Uh -huh. Yeah, the contagion of it. Yes, and a contagion effect. And, and, and the inherent in that is community and a social component, kind of taking our social wiring and using it to help us all wake up more and see more clearly. So I, I think that's super important, super important these days, because we, we as a society, I mean, you look around, you look at the news just today, I was looking, a lot of separation out there, a lot of unseen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's 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 almost like you just because you get it that comes back to that sense. I love that prizing, Mitch. I love that, and it comes back to that sense of that need that really need to feel loved and cared about and understood, and how that helps us feel safe, and and ultimately, you know, we we need we need that, um, and then we come back to just feeling what's natural to us, which is, you know, this contentment, you know, yeah. that's there. And um, yeah, yeah, I know it's so hard somewhere along the way that disconnection happens with people, with yes. us, all, you know, as a human, human race and, and um, we're trying to find our way back. You know? Well, I think, you know, as we start to head toward our wrap up here, I'll say that you started with, I think so many of us, uh, have started when we really come to a habit path of mindfulness practice. It starts with pain and suffering. You mentioned your your own experience with addiction and, and uh, anxiety, panic. I myself, significant struggles around compulsive behavior in, in years past and social anxiety. Interesting that I am doing a podcast now, <laughs> you know, 
And so you're over, you've overcome it. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. There, there's a way in which, you know, those habits are in there. You feel the spark of it, but that, that space that you talked about shows up and you start to live in that space in between the stimulus and the response. And there's, there's freedom in that. And so you, you, the old habits can kind of be there, but they kind of go dormant. So I think so many people listening are like, you know, A, they're either in that should space, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, this sounds great, but it sounds ethereal or, you know, that sounds great. I should do that. And yet you and I both started from a place of stuckness. And it isn't about intelligence, right? You can't think your way out of stuckness. You know, you have to you have to show up and relate in a, in a new way. So that's that's super cool. Hey, but as we're wrapping up, Elisha, you know, what what feels most alive for you these days in your work? Like what what should people know about in terms of what's alive for you in your work? You know, in this chapter of my life, um, it's all about how can can I figure out how to be um, a best service to myself, the people I love and and people in the in the world to help them realize the the power within themselves and to to be the change they want to see in in this world and their lives and and for the people around them and and um and so those those three elements to me is the most powerful way to do that that having that mentor community and you know a proven path of experiential learning yes and um and so for me i've been running a program the past five years that has an enormous amount of um, examples of people's lives changing, overcoming mm-hmm. stress and anxiety, overcoming the negative habits of their mind in order for them to feel more confident and, um, you know, to sense that power so they can really just enjoy life more. And, uh, and, uh, and this is a program I have now that I've put together that's called Uncover the Power Within, where you know, we go through this this proven program together, and every week, um, I'm on calls with everyone twice a week oh, that wow. they can dip into. That we can work in with their questions and directly work with them one to one and uh, within within the group. and um, And that resource is available for an entire year, so people have this resource available them for a year. And everyone who comes into this program, the beautiful thing is this isn't just something that you can just like buy now type of idea. Yeah. Um, this is something where everyone who comes in here will be, have an opportunity to be interviewed um, to make sure that we really understand what their, their background is, why they're coming in, if it's a good fit for everybody. And if it is, um, we'll invite them into the program. And wow. um, to me, this is a, um, the strongest um, offering I've ever put out there for people to move from that feeling of feeling stuck to a greater sense of confidence and ease so they can really, enjoy, really enjoy their life more. And um, that's, so that's what's great. most alive for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from this book I'm writing as well. And, um, and I'm just trying to be, you know, continue to be open and, uh, and playful and loving in this world. And, and um, that's and it. I hear, I hear you play guitar. It's a, it's, it's a practice, man. It's a practice. It's a I, practice. Have one, I have one sitting over here off camera that has yeah. been sitting there with a big should written across it. To... I had that shit on mine too. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And how can people find you in your work? Where can they go? I would just go to, if you just go to my main website, that's it. Well, there's a couple of places, main website, Elisha Goldstein.com. 
Um, also, um, I'm putting a tremendous amount of uh, focus into my YouTube channel now. So you'll get a whole bunch of like free videos that are super practical on, yes. you know, how do you kind of get these mental health hacks going and, you know, how do we learn how to dial down anxiety and how do we bring more joy into our lives? And so you can find that if you go to YouTube and just go to Elisha Goldstein, PhD, you'll find it. Yeah. It's right there. Awesome. Awesome. Elisha, thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome chat. And uh, I hope, uh, I hope you have an awesome rest of the day and I hope everyone listening takes in and sidesteps the should and, and shows up to the possibilities uh, for, for engaging all of this. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of The Prize of Possibility. I hope you found things of benefit here. If so, please consider giving this show a positive review. Such feedback is not only great to hear, um, it also really helps elevate the show so that others can find benefit from it. Please stay tuned. More episodes, some great guests on the way so that we can together discover these true life prizes in daily life. Take care.